Fast Forward Productions. The women are speaking. Welcome to another episode of So Mind-Boggling Journeys. I'm your host, Bettina Goolsby. I'm an actor and dreamer slash creative continuing to go after my dreams. So much of this journey is just so mind-boggling, hence the title, for either reasons of utter disappointment or the manifestation beyond what I could have ever imagined. Follow along as I check in with other creators along the way and learn what so mind-boggling things they have to say and what it's like pursuing the dream while living the in-between. Hey everyone, thank you for tuning in. This season, we've talked a lot about how unresolved feelings and events can be reasons why we might be not going full force after our dreams and goals. We've also talked about how identifying those sources just might be the way to unblock and unlock the energy that we need to move forward. Today's guest is Akia Miller. She is a wellness specialist in food and self-awareness. She's going to share how asking herself the right questions and doing the work has helped her tune into the deepest parts of herself and really tap into her greatest power, which is freedom. She is a mom of two beautiful girls, and she's also the creator of Woke and Healthy, a program designed to heal the physical body along with the mind. Listen in as she shares how her journey with food has helped her crack open the relationship she currently has with herself and vice versa. She also gets real about indigestion, the itis, and the munchies. Here is Zakia Miller. Z, I'm so happy that you were on here. Zakia Miller is joining me today. And Zakia and I go way back. I am very close with her family. I've been close with them for years. And I was just thinking when I was thinking about, you know, you coming on here. And I was like, you know what? When I think about families, y'all are so tightly knit and just like such a force. And I was wondering, I was going to ask you like, oh, do you think that that also contributes to your health? Because you're very much a healthcare professional and wellness specialist and Don't you think that your family and your ties has a lot to do with that? You know what? I've never thought of it that way, but you are not the first person to say like your family is so tight knit and like you want to be in the family. It's like, it's a good time. But I will say that we do come together. And for me, because when we do come together, it's often around food. I have to take a conscious look at what we're putting on our plates. And my family is actually fairly good. We don't really, well, we don't do pork at all for the most part. And we try to have like a well-balanced meal, but that's so that's an interesting take. And I wonder if that has something to do with it. I mean, I know that like for me, food is a love language and cooking for the people I love really is a love language for me. So that it makes sense that I try to like rub off on my family. Mm-hmm. It's so funny that you just said that y'all don't eat pork. And I was like, ooh, I just had bacon before this. So, okay. So what's wrong with pork again? Well, okay, so I I feel like it's a blanketed statement. I don't eat pork. And, you know, my dad is Muslim, so we grew up not eating pork. So it was never a big deal for me. But, you know, I married a Filipino and like that's 75% of their diet. Oh, really? Oh, wait, I didn't know that. (laughs) And they often suffer from a lot of the same health issues that we do because it is diet related. High blood pressure, hypertension. I don't know if diabetes, but still. So they definitely have a lot of like, colon cancers, heart disease, things like that. The same thing that we have that, again, are often diet related. But I did a, and I don't like to do, use labels anymore. At one point I was said I was plant-based, I was vegan. I don't won't use any labels anymore. I try to eat and live a healthy preventative lifestyle. And that's kind of like my blanketed like label essentially. Because some days there may be some meat on my plate, right? But I did a... 
a health nutrition screening where they tested my blood against 99 different food types from meats to dairy to fruits and vegetables to figure out what foods triggered an inflammation response in my blood. So that means on like at a blood level, it does not work for you. So I'm a big supporter in eating for your blood type because everybody's blood type is different. And in this test is, I mean, it's, it's not inexpensive, unfortunately, but it was so telling because some of the things that I was eating that are plant-based or be good for you, I was having a huge response to like, for instance, bananas. So it gives you a scale of like one to 20 or so. Anything under one means you could eat it. You don't have a response to. And most things that I did have a response to was like 1.5. So I had a response, but it wasn't crazy. Bananas were like 11.7. And so she was like, you're definitely allergic to bananas. And I was like, I've had banana pudding all my life. I've had bananas and smoothies. And she was like, the common misconception is allergic means I'm either going to break out in hives or my throat is going to close. And so she was like, there's a whole nother response that you could be having to an allergic reaction that you don't even know internally, that it is like tearing your system up. It's getting, you're, you're not able to digest it. It's causing inflammation, mucus, and all these other responses. So she was like, just because you can eat it and your throat doesn't itch or you don't start scratching and have hives doesn't mean that you're not allergic to something. And so oftentimes it's kind of like a silent killer essentially, because when we're not eating foods that work for our blood type and we have an inflammation response. Inflammation is the number one cause of disease because inflammation creates mucus and stops your blood from being able to circulate and move through your body the way it's supposed to at the rate that it's supposed to and keeps it from congealing, all those types of things. So it really is important to know what works for you. You don't have to do this test, but you also can pay attention to symptoms after food because most of us say that the symptoms that we have in food are just like, well, that's just normal. We've just chalked it up to being like, you're supposed to get the itis after you had a full meal. Actually, you're not. When you have had a full nutritious meal of whole foods, you don't get the itis. You don't get that like 2.33 o'clock slump. You don't have the indigestion, the heartburn, the gas, all of those things. When you are eating what's right for your body, you don't have those type of responses. And so we have lived with them so long. We just think like, oh, my belly's supposed to stick out at the end of the night because I was eating all day. And when I had changed my diet, that was no longer the case. Like I didn't feel gross at the end of the day. And like, you know, you wake up in the morning, you're like, okay, I can wear a bathing suit right now because I haven't had anything to eat. But then by the end of the night, you're like, oh, okay, my, t- my tummy is not doing what I want it to do. But it's a lot because of the food. Oh my gosh. So you're saying that now you don't have indigestion issues by eating a whole 30 meal? I mean, whole food. Oh, whole foods. Mm. So a lot of vegetables... You still have your starches, you can still have your proteins, all those things, but you have to be thinking about them in a way where your protein is always your side dish if it's a meat. It's not the main. Oh, I always think of the protein as the main and the sides is everything, you know, that goes along with it, the go-withs. That's the American diet. Think about when you go overseas and you eat and they have these smaller plates with these little cute little like palettes, but like we're the only country that overstuffs our food. We're the only one that creates these diets that are killing us, essentially. And I was reading a study recently that it was like westernized diet moved throughout the world. And they saw once McDonald's and all of these fast foods started popping up in the countries, diseases that had not been in the country started popping up. Obesity rates. So it's like the American diet is attributed to declining health around the world. We have to start thinking differently about the way we eat. 
And especially I say in the Black community, because that's something that's passed down, especially in America, because our history was stolen, right? We don't have those same like legacies that we've been able to pass down or heirlooms from one to, to the next in the family. The only thing that we've ever passed down really are recipes. Those are recipes that at a time we took scraps and made it a delicacy, but we have never changed the way we thought because we were just given the scraps and like to make do. And when you think about it, when we're still using hog mog or a piece of like pig feet or whatever to like season something, it's still that same mentality of using scraps to cook with because that's what we have and we don't necessarily have to do that. So I always say like, we have to think about our foods differently. We have to shop the grocery store differently. Now, what would be good substitutes though? Because, you know, it's hard to go from that type of seasoning from all those years to then go to what? Just salt and pepper? I mean, you need a a neck bone somewhere. (laughs) Somebody's neck bone, right? No, that's such a big misconception is that plant-based food is not flavored. It really is because you think about everything that you use to season that meat or to season those greens is a plant-based herb. Salt, pepper, rosemary, garlic, all of these are all plants, right? That you're using to make your meat or vegetables taste better. It's the same thing you have to use, but because we don't think about vegetables in this way, but there are so many different things that we could do with vegetables that'll still give us that feel of like, if you want that texture of like eating a steak and such, there are so many different ways now. And because veganism or plant-based is no longer just like a hippie like trend and it has become mainstream, anybody can do this now. You go to the Asian food market, it's my favorite place to shop because they have different vegetables and fruits that you could use differently, like banana blossoms. I never heard of banana blossoms, didn't know what it was, but it's actually the flower that comes off of the bananas that you can, is edible, that when battered and fried has a texture just like fish. You couldn't tell me it wasn't a piece of whiting. You have to be inventive and think outside of the box sometimes, but you know, you can go to any restaurant now and have a really decent plant-based meal. Like I had to go to a steakhouse with some people. And so I ended up just ordering all the sides. I said, give me a baked potato. I want the spinach and I want sauteed mushrooms. Well, I made it a loaded baked potato, but with the mushrooms and with spinach and such. So there's other ways you could do it. You don't need meat. But I'm also saying you can't not have meat. I'm just saying you should not be eating meat three times a day. No one should. Right. And it's interesting because what I need to do is get over the mental piece of it where I feel like if I'm not eating meat, then I'm not getting full. When you were saying that the protein should just be the side, really, I'm thinking like, well, wait, so is that just like a bunch of vegetables? And I'm like, is that filling enough or is it then just a bunch of carbs? A lot of people make that mistake of when they go plant-based, they'll just start eating tons of pasta tons of pasta and so be like, oh, that's easy. And yeah, but over time, a bunch of carbs is not going to do you well either. And what I found when I went plant-based, the more vegetables I ate, the fuller I stayed longer because your body knows how to convert this food into energy. Whereas when you put meat, potato and a vegetable in your stomach all at the same time, your stomach doesn't know how to break those down. So it's going to have to start with breaking down the meat, which is going to take the longest. So by the time it tries to break down that meat, your vegetables and your starch have already started to run through your system and you're not pulling any of the nutrients from those foods anymore because your body was spending the whole time breaking down the meat. Now think about you eat meat at 8, 30, 9 o'clock at night. You get in the bed at 10, 30. 
And then you wake up not feeling rested because instead of you, yes, you were sleeping, but your body will never go into deep sleep because it is still working to digest the food in your stomach. Wait a minute now, Zakia. Hold on. (laughs) This is new information here. (laughs) What? Oh my gosh. That is very interesting. It's like why I will never, I try not to eat after eight o'clock anymore because of that reason. So that when I can go to bed, I can get a good night's rest because my body is not trying to digest food. Because remember, we're either in rest and restore mode or fight or flight. Your body is always in one of those. So when we want to rest, we need to give our body the opportunity to do it. So don't put a whole bunch of like meats and dairies, like ice cream before bed terrible. All that sugar, right? Mm-hmm. All that sugar. Again, so your body is never really going into rest and restore because it is too busy trying to break down all these foods that you have put in it. Wait, so going back to what you were saying about how one of the main things that we pass down in the Black community are recipes. I loved how I saw your clip with Scotch Porter. Hello. That was so great. And we will include that in the show notes. But I loved how you said that we'll say like, oh, such and such runs in the family, such and such runs in the family. You were like, no, the choices are what runs in the family. And I was like, oh, that's a good way to think of it. It's true. It's like the ideologies. And because even when I'm here, I'm, I'm home in Virginia with my mom. And I told her, I was like, oh, mom, I can't really be eating all this stuff that you are (laughs) making. Like, it's great. And it's like some of my favorites and I grew up on it, you know, so it feels really cozy and all of that. But I'm also like, oh, like, mm -mm." (laughs) I feel like, you know, there's a certain way there's not really a whole lot of health (laughs) involved, maybe in terms of the portions, but in terms of, you know, it's fried, it's lots of meats, you know, lots of things. That's also part of our Southern root. Yeah. Because I find anytime, I go back home to North Carolina, I will get a stomach ache because I start to indulge and I start to eat. Oh, I want the biscuit and I want the biscuit and gravy, the grits and the pancakes and the pancakes, the fried okra, like where the squash, everything is fried. Where are you saying? And then literally after a day or two, I'm like, my guts are like, Z, we, we don't, we can't do this anymore. Like you literally can't digest it. And that's what I have found. The longer I have been taking care of my diet and really like conscious of what I'm eating, the less I can eat and the less that I actually need to eat. I probably only now eat one full meal a day. Really? Yeah. So this, but this started because in 2021, I call it my year of giving up and I gave up, I, I did intermittent fasting, but I did only a four hour eating window. So I would only eat between 12 and four or maybe two and six. And that was it. The goal was to do it for a week. I ended up doing it for 40 days. It only takes a few days, believe it or not, for you to train your brain and your stomach to say like, oh, we're not hungry. Here's the crazy thing. So I would never eat before noon. If when I would never break my fast before noon, but if I knew I was going to go out, then I would push my window further back. Because I was like, okay, if I'm going out to dinner at like seven o'clock, then I'll open my window from six to nine or something like that. What ended up happening was when I would eat before 12. So if I would wake up and be like, you know what, I'm going to have breakfast with the kids. I'll eat breakfast. And then I would have a lunch or dinner, whatever. That next day when I would wake up, my stomach would be growling. My stomach only growls in the morning if I ate breakfast the previous day because you've been training your brain to think, all right, we wake up, it's time to eat. So now when I don't eat before 12, like I very rarely eat before 12, if it is anything, I started out, I have kind of like adopted a diet of like nuts, dried fruits, 
berries. That's how I break my fast. Plenty, plenty of water throughout the day. And then one meal that I usually try to do in the afternoon, not even in the evening, because for that same reason, I just want to allow my body to rest and restore so that one, that's when you're fighting off any viruses in your body. You give your body a fighting chance. You give your immune system a chance to work because again, you go into rest and restore every night. Mm. Okay. And so if you're not eating before 12, does that mean like waters? What about like people who drink coffee? I don't drink coffee, but like, you know, if you want a tea or is that considered breaking the fast? So I will do tea. You could do coffee or two as long as you're not doing milk and sugar and creamer. Does that include oat milk? Yes. I would say if you're going to do anything, like you could do tea, if it's just an herbal tea, no sugar, no honey, no nothing, just the tea. And then again, your taste buds are going to change because you are going to reteach your taste buds how to taste different foods. People think that I'm crazy when I say that. I say go plant-based and you do it long enough. Like for me, eating an orange, I'm like, oh my God, this is so sweet and it's so juicy. It gives me satisfaction. Whereas before I'd been like, it's just an orange, but you're diversifying your palate. How do you combat the emotional eating then? Because I'm sure there is a feeling of, and maybe a true feeling of hunger in the beginning, because you're not used to just eating between the four hours. And then on top of it, like the emotional part of it. So I would say it took about the first four or five days to get used to this idea where I would be like, by noon, I would be like, oh my God, where's that? Come on noon, come on noon. And I was ready with the food. And then eventually I was like, oh, it's one o'clock. I didn't even break fast yet. And your body just slowly starts to adjust to this new window. For me, and this is how I knew it is such a mind and emotional battle or a social emotional like battle that goes on, especially with emotional eating is because I would fast and I'm going to go ahead and put this out here because it is legal in the state of New Jersey. I have a medicinal marijuana card, right? Now, typically, if I were to smoke or have an edible, I would have crazy munchies. And I would sit on the couch at night after the kids were bed and I would just chips, ice cream, whatever. During this, it's called the warrior fast. I no longer had the munchies. I could get high. And not have the munchies because it was literally like a switch in my brain that knew like, well, your eating window is closed. So what you going to do? I would tell Shereen, my sister, this. And I was just like, it's so crazy because I used to just mindlessly munch at night. And now I could get high and not not have the munchies or even have the the desire to find something to like snack on. So it was really, it really is a mind control thing. And I think a lot of us all are emotional eaters because I even find myself if I'm like nervous or stressed or upset, I'm looking for comfort and food because it's what you're really looking for is immediate satisfaction. And oftentimes when we go to food, it is immediate, but how quickly is the response to like, I should not have just eaten that. Think about it. Like you'll say like you'll eat a bag of cookies and it was okay for the moment. But the minute you get off the couch to get up, to go upstairs or go to your bed, you're like, why did I just eat all those cookies? So we're so conditioned to need that quick fix that that's why food is an easier way. Food is a drug essentially, right? Like sugar is a drug and that's what we are feeding. And so we've allowed ourselves to believe that we are fulfilling a need when we given to cravings, essentially. You know, it is it's something that we have conditioned that we can recondition ourselves to think differently. And that at night, instead of, for me, instead of sitting on the couch and turning on the TV, which was a trigger to start munching, 
I came upstairs into the bedroom and got in the bed with a book and I would read instead of the TV. So again, it's these reconditioning your brain to change your patterns and your habits because it's what we have. It's just habits. I feel upset. I'm going to go open a bottle of wine. I'm stressed out about work. I'm going to smoke a joint. Or I'm um, somebody upset me, I'm gonna eat a bag of chips. You know, these are all instant gratifications that we're looking for to like not deal with whatever it is we're really feeling. So it's escapism. Absolutely. So when I was doing this and I was like, oh wow, I can smoke and not have the munchies. So this is all in my head then. Because typically you think, no, the marijuana is gonna make us smoke munchies no matter what. And I was like, but I had just proved that that wasn't the case. It was like a kind of a mind thing. I was going to say, it sounds like, you know, maybe for you, because you have, you're very strong minded, it sounds like, it sounds like when you made up your mind to incorporate these other things that you were able to kind of maybe just like flip the switch or maybe, I don't know, maybe you were trying these things and then maybe you would fall short and then you'd get back up and try it again. And so now you're at a place where you can kind of do the mind, you know, the Jedi mind trick on yourself. (laughs) And that's true because listen, I started, I did a vegan challenge in 2016. That was my first introduction into a plant-based lifestyle. I did it for 21 days. I felt great. I was like, ooh, I'm going to continue to do this. And then I didn't. And then it took me like another year to get serious. I'm like, okay, I'm really going to eliminate the meat and dairy. And I did that. And I did that for a few years. And then in the pandemic, I reintroduced meat again just because we were home. It was winter. It was cold. And I, you know, my, I raised my kids to be meat eaters. So it felt cruel to be like, you can't eat this anymore. So I would continue to prepare it for them. And so in the pandemic, I think just because, again, this has a lot to do with what you're saying, I'm like the mind and where we are. I think the pandemic did such a mental number on so many of us that I needed to find some gratification. And so the bee stew was a thing for me. I all of a sudden, I just want to be stew all the time. You know what I'm saying? So when I say that this is like years of practice put in work in order to be willing to give things up, but everybody can start, try a three-day fast. And by three-day fast, you don't have to do a four-hour eating window. You can do a, you could do an eight-hour eating window, but just don't break your fast until 12. You eat between 12 and eight. You can still get the benefits of intermittent fasting because there are a lot of benefits to intermittent fasting for weight loss, for cognitive focus, for healing. There's so many benefits to it. But you don't have to have this crazy window that I have. You can start with eight hours or start with just one day. Just try it one day. It's how we recondition ourselves. But to be fair, I will say in 2016, I did not know that is when I was beginning my healing journey. And it started there because I was married with two kids under the age of three. I had given up my career to take care of them and I was lost. I showed up for my kids and I was a great mother, but I was lost in motherhood. And it felt like when I took on this like 21 challenge, it was the first thing that I could control. My day was controlled by minions all day. And then I finally had something that was for me, just for me. So that literally is kind of like how I started this process of healing. The pandemic really like pushed me to go further because I was just at that point where I'm like, I'm tired of my own bullshit. I'm tired of making the same mistakes, doing things that I know I shouldn't do, but I do them anyway and then regret them soon thereafter. For me, that was like, these are all trauma responses to unhealed wounds. When I started doing the work, which was like, what is it that I am trying to escape, right? Because that's often, like I said, even thing when we're eating these foods, we're trying to escape because we're looking for a quick fix because I'm not upset about this or that. And which is why I was 21, I'd call it my year of like, 
giving up because I gave up first, I gave up the food for the four hour eating window. I gave up alcohol. I've always been a more of a smoker anyway, but I was never a big alcohol drinker, but I was like, I was doing it to be social. And I was like, why do I have to drink to be social? So I gave that up. I've never really returned to it. So not even like a glass of wine. No, I was out to dinner to celebrate with the friends. I just, I have no desire, never really have. And I was like, why, you know? And then the more I understood about alcohol and why it's called wine and spirits and Islamic faith, why they tell you to stay away from it is because it actually almost essentially can attract a lower vibration to you where you think about it, you go out one night, you drink, and then the next morning you'd be like, why the hell did I just do that? Why the hell did I do that? Yes. You are not that person when you are drinking. That is not who you are, which is why you wake up in the morning and be like, oh, shoot. Like, you know, so I gave up the alcohol, but then the biggest one, which I did not realize was going to be so instrumental for me was last October, I said I was going to go away from Instagram for 30 days. Now, mind you, I had been building an Instagram page for six years based off of this plant-based diet. I had gotten up to 20,000 followers. Like technically I was a micro influencer. I was doing the same thing, right? You absolutely were. Well, I was like, after going through like all these fasts and giving things up, I heard very loud and clearly walk away from social for a while. And I was like, but I had just launched the Woke and Healthy brand. I had products. How can I walk away now? But I kept hearing it over and over, like walk away. And how were you hearing it? Were you from like prayer or meditation, journaling? Oh, that discernment. That's another thing that has gotten much clearer in this healing journey. It is learning intuition to hear. A random thought is not a random thought. It was given to you by somewhere. Somewhere on a vibrational level, you connected with that in order to receive that thought. When I kept hearing it and I was like, I'm going to honor this because every time that I have not honored that feeling or that voice that has said to do something, I have regretted it. So I was like, all right, I'm going to go away for 30 days. Come November 1, I was like, yeah, I'm not ready to come back to social. I didn't realize how taxing it was, but for me, how toxic it was for me. And even though I had gone through my Instagram, I had cleaned up my feed. I had unfollowed a lot of people like, you know, like World Star and like all Shade Room. I was like, I'm, I don't, that's not what I want on my feed anymore. I had done all that. And it was like, I feel like a high vibrational feat. I still just did not feel right for me anymore because I realized that as long as I was on Instagram, I cared what other people thought. I cared about the content that I put out. I cared about if you received it, did you like it? Or why didn't you like it? Or maybe I should have done this. And they did that. I saw this influencer did this and they, they got, they went viral off of that. Maybe I need to do more of this. Or maybe I need to start dancing on my post. Or maybe, you know, like all of these things. And I was like, which is so crazy that you had that feeling because your Instagram is so organic to you that it's interesting to hear you say that you felt like you kind of had to be in like the rat race with them and, and seeing what everybody else was doing. Well, here's the other thing though. Instagram also was a cute little portrait of what I wanted you all to see in my life. That was me coping with being unhappily married, me like feeling like I didn't have control or had given up my career in order to be a mother, to be a wife, all of these things. So that was where I could put my life together in a, a cute little box and a neat little bow. Not that it wasn't authentic to me. It is now not authentic to the story I want to tell because it's only telling half of the story. It's only giving you like, ooh, clean up your diet. Well, me cleaning up my diet meant that I had to clean up my mind, had to clean up my heart, had to clean up my soul, had to clean up all of the stuff, the mistakes that I have made, all understanding that it stemmed from childhood, that I didn't even realize that I was suffering from abandonment issues. 
And when I say I didn't realize, I have only come to know this in the last few weeks about myself, that I was suffering from abandonment. My mom left us when I was four and I figured, well, I only have like two memories of living with my mother. So like, how could I be affected by that? It wasn't until I understood that after she left, I went mute for a few weeks at the age of four to decide to stop talking. And so I was trying to do some journaling and healing work to figure out what is it about the four-year-old me that stopped talking? Did I say something that I thought in my head may have made my mom leave? Again, and I don't know what that is, but I do realize me dealing with abandonment pushed me into relationships, trying to seek validation that were often codependent, that stemmed from my abandonment issues that I didn't even know I had until a couple weeks ago. Wait, yeah, because I was going to ask, because the interesting thing about that is you're very close with your mother now and for years. So the closeness didn't heal whatever the four-year-old you was going through without you actually actively still moving through the stages of that. That's interesting. It is because I would have been like, no, I'm totally fine. And my sister and I have a very different story of childhood. I saw a post recently on TikTok because that's my new fave. I'll talk about that later. But she talked about how siblings can have two very different ideas of a childhood. And it's because they both get two different parents. And so that's what I just always figured out. My sister was just like, oh, the, my childhood was this. And I'm like, well, no, it was this to me. And it was, they were juxtaposed. They were totally different. And it was realized that I also had put myself in a cocoon as to protect myself, not realizing that I had these unresolved issues of not feeling needed, essentially. Like I felt like my mom didn't need me. What did that lend itself to in my teenage years? Promiscuity. Because it was the first time someone other than like, yes, my dad was there, great father, I love him. But it was first time I got attention from a guy that they needed something from me. And it was sex. And so I then correlated that and created these codependent toxic relationships because I was still that four-year-old girl who whether said it or not, felt like she was not even wanted or needed by her own mother. So this, I spent decades searching for love through sex and not realizing that I was just trying to do my quick fix. I wanted instant gratification and still had the same response to that person who ate that whole bag of chips. I would have sex and then I would be like, why did I do that? I don't even really like that person. And then not realizing how much energy I had left with people, willingly or unwillingly, that I have been working on to call back that energy and feeling like I had energetic ties with people that, in my mind, we were done and over, and that was past life. Someone could still be holding on to that and exchanging on that energy. And so when people say, like, this healing process is not for the week, it ain't for the week because it is going to bring out stuff that, like, again, I was just trying to heal my diet. I had no idea. Six years later, I would be in here talking about things that are very vulnerable, things that like on Instagram, I feel like I can't say yet because you all know me as Zakia Miller, plant-based health advocate, not Zakia Miller, who's going to say like, I suffered with abandonment, dealt with promiscuity, got married unhappily, going through a divorce. Like, you know what I'm saying? That's not, that's not what you think when you see me on Instagram. No, but I think that that would be, I think that would be totally welcome. I mean, of course, you have to do what feels comfortable for you and what you want to put out there. But I feel like that just shows a completely well, not to say that you aren't well-rounded if you don't show those things, but it just shows that life isn't linear and that we're doing a whole bunch of things at the same time. There's like two and three things could be true at the same time. 
I was nodding my head when you were talking about how siblings can have very different childhoods or ideas of their childhood. Because although I don't have a sibling, I have that with my cousin. My cousin Patrice, when we talk about growing up together and, you know, with my, the dynamic with my mom and my aunt who passed almost two years ago, or rest in peace, Aunt Jackie, and my cousin Selzin, it's, I'm, I'm flabbergasted <laughs> on how she remembers our upbringing and our childhood. And so when you said that, I was like, oh my gosh, like, you know, cause I think of her sometimes and my mom being a little bit of like, what do they call them? Revisionist historians, you know, I'm like, mm, I remember it going down like that. I relate to, because I had, you know, abandonment issues with my father, I was always looking for love in the wrong places and in the wrong people. And I know what you mean about just now discovering things. I didn't realize that I was projecting my fantasies on these people or the, you know, cause I would see the potential and I would be able to see, you know, I think of myself, you know, I'm a big dreamer and like, you know, I, I hope to be a manifester. And so I just, I, it was an automatic thing where I would see this person and see like the rest of our lives. <laughs> so that, that is a trauma response to abandonment because I also have that same thing where I was like immediately fall in love very quickly. Oh, I love you. This is great. This is going to be forever. And it was like, is it though? But you lose that power of discernment when you were coming from a wounded space and looking for anything from a wounded space, you know, from a trauma response. So I teach my kids about red flags. My daughter last year in fourth grade had her first like real like girl drama and it ended up costing her a really good friend, someone that she thought was a really good friend. And then eventually it was like, all right, I was like, okay, this is, I'm sorry that you're learning this lesson in fourth grade, but Unfortunately, it is like a lesson that we are going to have to learn that everyone who says that they're your friend is not necessarily your friend. And I hated that she, because it was hard for me to watch. I woke up with anxiety about it too. And I told her, you have to believe people when they show you who they are. And I was like, y'all, it has taken me all my life to learn how to do this. And so I want to equip you with the tools to do it now so that you have the discernment to make sure that you are picking and choosing the right people to be in your lives. You know, you still have to go to school with these people. You still have to share a space with them. You don't have to be friends, but you also don't have to be cruel. But when someone shows you something, just mark it down in your head. Mm, red flag. I was like, after so many red flags, you need to like, okay, this is this is how the person is treating me or how they really feel about me. I need to take space for myself. So that was something I had to teach them. Before you move on from that, so I feel like we were, we're taught that, right? Like, you know, as soon as someone shows you who they are, believe them, right? And it's like, okay, but when do you also, I feel like there's a fine line between growth and evolution and like, you know, experience and then also grace. Like when I think about, kind of like where I am now. And when I think back to certain things and I'm like, oh, or if I held a grudge with a friend about something, right? And then I'll think back like, yeah, but during that time I did all types of dumb stuff. And I did a lot of things that were probably unconscious or working from my own sense of, you know, lack of self-esteem and insecurity. And I was like, ooh, if someone kind of put me in that box and, you know, I might be like, oh, well, yeah, I definitely, you know, was, I, I didn't realize that that's what I was doing or that that is what the story that was playing out. But now that I, especially now to your point, like after doing the work and like reading all these books and 
doing all the research that we do and, you know, the, and, you know, the meditating, the prayer and the journaling, I feel like I'm like just discovering so many things about myself where I'm like, oh, that's probably why I did that. Or that, I, that person didn't do anything to me. I was projecting onto her what someone did to me in the play box and the sandbox and kindergarten. And that's not fair that I'm taking that out on her 20 years later, but I didn't realize that that's what I was doing. So how do you, how can you discern what's what? So like you said, like we're taught, believe people when they show you who they are. But oftentimes in our family, we are taught the exact opposite. And I have found this to be true in a lot of Black families as well, that there are family secrets that people will go to their grave with. Even family secrets that are harmful to the people in the family, the people I think, and this has been a reoccurring theme you see a lot of times where people have had to sit across the room from a family function from someone who has abused them who has taken advantage of them and everybody knows it, but not one person is talking about it. So you can tell me, show me, you know, believe people when they tell you, but when you have a family that is teaching you, well, yeah, but that's uncle so-and-so. So we all just know, don't go about uncle so-and-so. But so it's like this like allegiance that we have to stick together as a family, even if it means that we are hurting the people that are in it. And those are where we're picking up those lessons. So as much as we can say it, like, I can tell my kids all day, but they're still going to follow what I did. So I asked that to show them what that looks like, you know, and so that you can have that power of discernment. Because again, it's it's so hard when I talk about this, like healing journey, do the work. I feel like these are all buzz and cliche words right now. And it's like, well, what does do the work even mean? We all think, oh, let me yoga. Let me meditate. Let me start working out. Let me like read a couple books. And yes, it is that. But for me, it required solitude. Even if I wasn't meditating, even if I wasn't like actually praying or journaling, it required me to to retreat inside, to really be able to hear what it was that the work that I'm trying to heal, the parts of me, the trauma that that need to be resolved. And I think, you know, some of my friends have been like, you don't call us anymore. You don't text. You don't come out. And I feel guilty, but it's also just because I'm like, I only have this much space, right? So I still have to raise these kids. I still have to work because I need my, it's my livelihood. And then I have my healing. I don't have any more room or capacity to take on anything else. And I know it kind of sounds like bullshit to other people. Like, okay, girl, you, you, so you can't come out for a drink because you, you trying to heal. Okay, girl, whatever. But that's exactly what it feels like. Everything feels like a distraction now. Everything else feels like a distraction because I feel like I'm like, all right, Zakia, you've been doing this. You've been on this road and on this journey for so long. And I can feel that like the healing is is happening and that I feel like I'm on the cusp of finally being like, ooh, I healed all that childhood trauma, right? And so I was like, I just got to focus. I just got to focus on this. And when I'm ready to come back, if it is Instagram or I start you know, inviting myself or allowing myself to go back and enjoy some of these moments with friends and what whatnot. Like, I'll know when that is. But right now, it is not now. And I don't know how else to say that. And I love that, though, because it's almost like, you know, when we have those abandonment issues, it's like I didn't realize this at the time, but I didn't understand what boundaries even meant. I had no idea what the idea of that meant. So I had none. Whereas like you are creating a very, very strong boundary in your life. And that is just going to aid you in the healing because you're choosing yourself first. You're listening to yourself. And you learn to say no, because... I think because of the abandonment issues, I said yes to everything for fear that someone would be upset with me. So I was like, yes. And that was so detrimental because I said yes to things that 
I never wanted to say yes to, including things like sex with someone I didn't want to sleep with. But like, I was like, I guess I kind of have to, you know, because I was leading from this like abandoned, broken and just trauma filled response as opposed to like, how do I really feel about this? I didn't know how to check in with myself. I didn't know how to like say no. It really was, well, I want people to like me and I don't want people to abandon me. So I won't create any boundaries and I will let them in those that I do put, I will let people that love me trample over those boundaries anyway. And I'll tell you, you trample over the boundary, but I won't do anything about it. And I'll let you do it over and over and over again to the point that for me, I realize (laughs) when I don't put boundaries up, I actually physically get ill. So when I have allowed someone to step over me over and over again, and I don't speak up for myself, I got to the point where my neck would become so stiff. It was a stress, a feeling like you did not have power over your own life. And the more boundaries that I have put in place, you find that people respect them without you even asking. And I had a girlfriend call and be like, where are you? And I had to, and I had to give her the spiel. Like, and it ended up me in tears and all this and being like, it's not that I don't love y'all because they're doing a girl strip. And I said that I was not going to do it. Oh, wow. Really? Yeah. I was just like, I'm not ready. Like I just, and I, and, and who would think that you wouldn't want to go on a, a girl's trip? Right. I would think that like that, you're like, okay, I'm going to really like, you know, do it up and with my girls and feel good, have a good time. I trying to convince myself to do it. And I was like, I should never be convincing myself to do anything. I had to tell her and I was like, I'm not going on the trip. And this is why. And I felt like such a, like a snobby and like, I'm on this healing journey, honey, and I can't be bothered. Right. That's what I felt like. That's what I heard myself saying, but she was so receptive and she was like, I'm proud of you. I know this isn't easy. So yeah, it just is like learning boundaries is one of the best things I have ever done for myself and learning to say no. Cause I have said yes way too much in my life and the power of no. And like I said, like giving up, like every time I gave up something in 2021, I gained so much more because of it. So I guess that leads us into, so you are still on your social media fast and with you having the Woken Healthy brand, which is meal plans and then also journals, food journal, and also just like health and wellness and mind journal and your Instagram with your following. It sounds like you're not quite ready yet to come back out. So you might not even know the answer to this question. I was going to ask you, you said that what was your Instagram profile wasn't the full story that you wanted to tell. Do you have an idea of the story that you do want to tell when you do come back out there? I have been listening to sermon, I like to call it, which I, I it's something everyone needs, your ability to understand what is for you, what's not for you. I have been listening and it is time. I feel like there is a resurgence coming, but I don't know that it is on Instagram because I still feel boxed in on Instagram. And then that's probably just my own, like, I could be making this up in my head. A few months ago, I started, I took a TikTok deep dive and like fell in love with the platform so much so that I was like, I actually could see myself rebranding myself on TikTok. And I think I have posted like six or seven posts, but I have the same thing where I'm like, oh, I just don't have that for it. But I am starting in January, going to start doing a live stream once a month. Just to rebrand myself. And the first episode, we just figured out the name is Vulnerable Storytelling for Real Healing. And that really is how I want to brand myself. So yes, I it is eating healthy. It is working out. It is being mindful. It's stretching. It's all these things. But it is 
sharing these very real and raw stories that I think have been the most helpful for most people when I tell them. When I this story that I have told you today is kind of where I am rebranding myself, just being authentically like true and like even though it's not pretty and people might look at me in a different light when I share some of the things that I've done in my past, but I feel like that is where someone else will get their healing journey and trust me enough to help them if I say like, listen, like I went through this process. I did not realize, I have a name for it now, that it was womb healing and understanding the divine feminine energy that we all have. And when you understand that power, you will never give it away to anyone else again. Not to anyone who's not equally yoked, because you also realize the the power, the powerhouse that we have, all of us sitting in our womb. and, And I don't, womb has nothing to do with having a baby, being a mom, none of that. It is about being a woman and who you are, right? And this idea of all of our energy, all of our manifestation power sits in our womb. So when we neglect that or we give it away or we just think like, oh, I'm gonna lay with anybody every other day, you know, we are giving away our powerhouse. It's almost dampening it. And it started because I was having heavy periods. That's where I started trying to heal my periods and ended up healing my womb. Oh my gosh. Okay, well, we will look out for that for the 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 womb content. We will look out for that. Okay, so Zakia, before we get out of here, I just have two other things I'd like to ask you. First, being, so what's a good cheese supplement? Because mm-hmm. I'm having my body is like we. I love cheese for years. Cheese is starting not to like me, but I'm like, but I love you, cheese. So I need to figure something else out. I hear that the vegan options of cheese are not good. Do you know of one that is good or do you have something, a type of cheese that would work? So cheese is is tough. Cheese is tough. You like cheddar? Is it, what is it that you, what dairy or what cheeses are you eating? So I actually really like, well, my favorite is halloumi. But I really like, but I, you know, but I eat all, all cheese, except for American. I don't love American. And I don't, I do like, I like blue cheese, but just kind of like very light crumbles. But I like feta. I like mozzarella. I like cheddar. I like Parmesan. I mean, I love it all. Your Tex-Mex cheeses, all, Jack cheeses, Pepper Jack, Monticello. Was it Monticello? What, what is it? That is. <laughs> Monterey. 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 Monticello. So cheese is tough because nothing else can really give you that same taste. Now I will say there is a brand and I'm going to butcher the brand is Mayoko's or it's like M-Y, I think K-O-S-O-S. So I, I it's something like that. And I'm going to look for it so we can put the real name in the show notes so people can put it in there. But I use it for like cream cheese spreads. You also had one that was kind of like a goat cheese that I have used. But for me, I just, I mean, the cheese thing is a thing for a lot of people, which is why they say they could never go. They could go vegetarian because they could still have the cheese, but they couldn't go vegan because of the cheese. But I have been, there's this vegan restaurant I'm dying to try because they're, they've been do, they've been able to do stuff with tofu where I was like, how? Or nutritional yeast has like a nutty kind of like, cheesy flavor. I just started hearing about this nutritional yeast thing. It's really good for you. It just has like a nutty taste. It is not going to make it feel like you put Parmesan on your, it's not going to make that. It's (laughs) not going to do that. So I'm not going to get the gooey, stretchy, melted goodness. No. No. And, And the problem with a lot of these cheeses is processed. 
you might as well just eat the cheese at this point because they have manufactured and processed something in a factory to make it look like cheese, smell like cheese, taste like cheese. And oftentimes I think a lot of it is wheat. And I, I realize I'm really sensitive to wheat and so and gluten and all those things. So I had to be thinking about that. But like, yeah, there's not. And there, there could be some vegans listening right now. If y'all know a, a, another option for me, I just have not found anything. But I also, it's the dairy I feel like is the devil. Just, I'm just going to, I mean, it, it's a byproduct. Not the devil. Oh my God. With a pitchfork and all? Like, whereas meat is the meat. Dairy is a byproduct of an animal. You understand? Like it was secreted out of the animal. Ooh, so did, did you have to use the word secreted though? <laughs> oh God. Well, but that's for me, visually helps me just be like, should we really be drinking anything that came out of the a cow's teeth? Really? Because it's also like, would I want to breastfeed a dog? Or, you know what I'm like? It's, we are the only species that takes milk, a byproduct from another species. We're the only ones. In the animal kingdom, you will not find an animal nursing another species. Like that's just not going to happen. That's so interesting to look at it like that. We also don't need dairy. Now the dairy industry might come after me for this. It should not be in the food groups. Like that food pyramid that we grew up with is BS. We can live a full life with all the nutrition, minerals, amino acids that we need and not get any of it from dairy. The BS that you get the calcium and all that from it, you're getting it as a byproduct from the animal. How did the animal get it? From the grass. They got it from plants. So you're not even getting the full source. You're getting a byproduct of the byproduct. Oh my gosh. Z, this is good stuff. This is like stuff that we need to talk about more. Because even just like processing and thinking about it intellectually like that, it's like, oh, well, yeah. What, what were we told that actually doesn't make sense when we really break it down? And so then finally, I'd like to end on the ooey. So you touched on it earlier. <laughs> so where what is going on now? Because I'm always like, mm, I don't know what I can say, what I can't say, where I can go, where I can do what. You know what I mean? I'm like, well, what, 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 I don't want any issues. <laughs> the reason I even say it now is because it's in New Jersey. It is legal. So I actually, before it was recreationally, I actually have a medicinal card for medical marijuana. So that came out first, but now that New Jersey has moved to recreational, anybody with a ID who's 21 can go in and buy ooey from a nice dispensary, no more like meeting up with a guy on the corner hoping you get what you get. And at least I can go in and say like, hey, I need something for when I need to write. Or I'm going to have a long day. I'm going to be sitting in front of meetings all day. I need focus. As opposed to, I don't know what I got off the street. And hopefully it's not laced. And hopefully it ain't a bag of shake either at the end of the day, you know? So I love that it has been legalized. And I think we'll slowly see it happening in most states just because it never should have been a class one narcotic, period. People that are still locked up for it. It's terrible to think that I can go in to my neighborhood dispensary and get an eighth and walk out. And I still have some, a kid who had less than that just in his pocket who is sitting behind bars because of it. For years. It's crazy. It is crazy. So, but I do believe the stigma behind it is changing. And unfortunately, you know, once it becomes corporate, it's okay for everybody to do it. Marijuana is one of those things that everybody's been doing anyway, though. Like, you know, you think about even our parents are doing it, still doing it. You have a lot of baby boomers who still smoke every day. I was looking at some um, statistics recently. 
So it's always been around. I like that it has been legalized because again, you hear people every day drunk driving, killing somebody. Do you hear that about somebody while marijuana and they, they, no, you don't hear that. People go to sleep. They might have a little bit of munchies or whatever, but like, I can still keep my cognitive function, which is why I think I always went to marijuana over alcohol because you lose senses and your ability to control a situation. If you want to come over to Jersey, I can take you. I have a few dispensaries that I really love, a couple products that I have like really like taken over. Like I before was never an edible girl, never, because I was like, you can't control it. You don't know. But I have found some products now that I can like experiment in a safe way because you actually know who manufactured it and you can actually go back and say like, this made me sick. And people do that. They'll say like, hey, I had a I had a bad response to this and they can pull an entire strain off of the market very quickly. So there is something that I think that is really nice about it being legal and that it being regulated that, you know, you can indulge safely. So they, they bring in them roaches back and they're like, uh-uh, this was not it. <laughs> <laughs> this was not it. Let me give you this roach back and get, let me tr- get something else. <laughs> right. No, but listen, I got my loyalty program. I get my points every time I go. I get a free joint maybe because of it. So yeah, I'm, I love it. I'm telling you, come to Jersey. When you come back up here, we'll go on and we can go through like, here are my favorite dispensaries. Okay. Yeah. Let's do it. I'm down for the field trip. Yes. Okay. So great. So let us know, cause you're not out there right now. So how do we kind of wait for you? Where is there a waiting list? <laughs> is there like a, a line that we wait for you to come back out? How are we going to know when you have come back out? When I have arrived. When you have arrived. <laughs> Go to my website, wokenhealthy.com and you can sign up for the newsletter. So I'll, I'll keep information in there, but my channel, I'm going to live stream from, believe it or not, YouTube and LinkedIn. Oh, wait, I thought you were going to do it from Instagram since you have, you know, the 20,000 followers there. Really? Oh, so you're, are you launching a YouTube? Because I didn't know you had a YouTube. I don't have a YouTube. I am launching a channel to house this like live stream, which for now in the beginning is probably going to be me. But then I hope to bring on other guests because really talk about this sharing for real healing. So go to my website. You can sign up for the newsletter and I'll keep you up to date. It's launching. I don't have the exact date in January, but it's coming very soon. Oh, that's great. Okay, thank you. And we'll put everything in the show notes. Thank you so much, Z. Thanks for coming on on the podcast. Thank you, Bettina. This is so much fun. Thank you for listening. This has been a So Mind Boggling production. Follow along at So Mind Boggling on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook.